Okay, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you a question. What, what is the nature of a man and a woman? What is the nature of mankind? The nature of mankind, you can fill in the blank however you want to. And I'm going to make it a little clear. What are you full of? Okay, make it a little bit clear. What are you full of in your life and what is your nature? Because all of us have a little natural things about us that we're drawn to and, and our behaviors and our and our. And our attitudes, those are things that just happen. But here's the deal about our nature. Oftentimes we live in a way that we do things that's solely based on what benefits me. And what happens in the lives of people who only make decisions on what benefits me is they become very narrow-minded and they never consider about the consequences to other people that are influenced. Are you with me? So as we think about ourselves, what am I full of and what is my intent? What is my desire? How do I really want to live? So the nature of man and woman is to get and not give. And that's really the beginning. In Genesis 3, if you'll go there, in verse 6, Eve began to see something. And I don't know if she had ever seen it before, but not that she didn't see it before, but I don't think she ever really gave it the thought that she began to think. Now let me stop here for a minute in your life and mine. There's a lot of things that are fleeting thoughts that go through our mind. But there are some things about our nature that we like to get and we like to receive and not necessarily give that when you begin to dwell on them, they begin to consume you. Regardless of what it may be about, it may be an ill feeling, it may be an issue of the past, it may have been something that someone done to you, but when you begin to set and dwell upon that, it begins to grow and mature, and it will give birth to something eventually. Whenever Eve was in the garden, and, and she had seen all of these trees, and she had always listened to her husband, and she had always, there was no pun in that, she had always listened to the rules that God had given her and Adam how to live. But she took notice whenever Satan began to dangle, in verse 6, he began to dangle this fruit before her. And verse 6 says this, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband, and he didn't eat. Here's the deal. There's something about us that we look sometimes at sin, and it is approachable. It is, uh, it may be alluring. It may look good. It may be even something that satisfies to a degree because we like to get. We just do. Within our very nature, many times we're all more about getting than we are um, giving. <clears throat> I was talking to a fellow yesterday, and we were talking about deer hunting and, and different things about it. And it was Philip. It was me and Philip. And, uh, we were talking about how we would love to really someday just get a, you know, just a big old dandy deer. And some of you are saying, who cares? And I think we basically came to that conclusion. It doesn't matter what we get. It's that we find fulfillment in the life that he's given us. So let me go through some things here about Eve. Eve saw and she noticed the tree. She knew it was forbidden. She knew that it was good for food because at that point, everything that God had made was what? Good. Everything was a, had a purpose. It had a direction. And so she saw this tree and she began to dwell upon it after the enemy, Satan, began to entice her mind. And it was good for food, so it just seemed justifiable. It was pleasant to her eyes. It was going to make her smarter. Then she acted upon her desire to get it, and then she gave it to Adam. And so here we are, a life full of me. And the consequences of a life full of me. And in every one of us, there's a tendency that we have to, to make decisions on just what's based best for me. And we may have a tendency to make decisions on what's just going to make my life easier. It doesn't matter what it does to anyone else. And when you begin to get this mentality that she bought into, because it looked good, it seemed good, it was pleasing and pleasant to the eyes, and she thought it would make her wise, 
She gave her full attention to that, and then not only did it hurt herself, but it hurt her husband as well. I'd like you to go another place in the book of Proverbs, if you will, and this is where we're going to get into the message part this morning. But before we get into it, I want you to think, what is it that you look at, and what is it that's set before you that seems appealing to you at the moment, but you know is not accurate, it's not right, it's improper, it's something that shouldn't be taking place in your life. And it could be a thousand things. Often we always migrate to the big things. But, friend, we were talking uh, last Sunday morning in Sunday school about it's the little things that spoil the vines, right? And how many of you know what that means? You know, the, the little things that I ask, you know, what does that mean? And in and, uh, and Sunday school sometimes they would just look at me like, uh, uh, you tell us. But they already knew. The little things that get destroyed are things that are, just, that are bothered at the root. How many of you have ever got an apple that had a worm in it? Anybody? How many of you have ever wondered how in the world did that worm get inside that apple? How in the world? How could a worm somehow get into the core and get in there and eat? Well, it never came through the apple. You see, the worm or the egg or whatever it was was late and when it was still pretty. And it's the same way with us. Everything may look real pretty with sin in the initial part. But once that seed gets laid within that thing that you may be appealed to and it may be appealing to you, when it begins to grow, it may be naked to the eye of everybody else, but there's still something inside there that shouldn't be there. And it's the same with us. When we become as Eve and we get enamored with things we shouldn't be, they become to be a cancer within us. And so <clears throat> let's go to the message. Proverbs chapter 29. There's going to be a lot of verses this morning, and so just kind of hang with me if you can. Proverbs chapter 29. This is where an iPad would be really handy. I could just push a button if I can see it, and it would go straight there. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 29, but I encourage you to bring your Bible. Verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Let me go to this for just a couple minutes. Anything, anything but a life full of me, a life of humility... When you hear the term being humble, and, and I know there's a lot of people in here, you're really humble. I mean, you never talk about you. You never, you never, never bring attention to you. Matter of fact, there's such a sweetness and a humility about you. Even when something's done against you, many times you will turn it around. Well, you know, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I did something about it. And, and some of you later saying, that's foolish. Some of you guys said, that ain't me. But, but some of you have such a spirit of humility that you would never directionalize anything at anybody else. You'll just take it yourself. And in this passage, it talks about a prideful spirit and a prideful attitude. Uh, a life of humility, Proverbs 29, 23. Living right without being noticed. Living right without being recognized. An adult does what's right because it's the right thing to do. We taught that many years ago. When I first started pastoring here on Wednesday nights, I'm sure it was, and maybe on Sunday evening, but we talked, when is a citizen an adult? When is, when is a person really mature? When is a person really the, the person they're supposed to be? When you become an adult, you do what's right because it's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Your thinking is right, and so you purpose in your heart that I'm going to be humble in this, and I'm going to do what's right. It's just your nature. I had one of my grandmothers, Zella Whitson, was, and you've heard me tell stories about her. She was a, a pretty tall, lanky lady. Kind of, You know, a lot of taller ladies to do this. You know, see, they're not as visible for whatever reason, but she was very visible. And, but the sweetest lady ever, everything about her was accommodating everyone else. And was it sometimes maybe a negative thing? Possibly. 
But everything she done was to benefit everyone else around, around her. An adult does what's right because it's the right thing to do. I volunteer because of a need. I help because of a need. I give because of a need. And I'm going to stop here for a minute. In the past several weeks, you all know that it, there's been a lot of changes out here in the foyer, the nursery, the hallways. And yet we've hired some things done, but I'm going to be honest with you. The reason all these things have been accomplished is because people have been seeing a need that had nothing to do with them. They just went and done it. People were painting and putting up trim and putting up walls and fixing ceiling tiles and, and tearing out toilets and putting toilets in. And all of those things had to do with people who saw a need because they had a spirit of humility. It wasn't about benefiting them, it was about benefiting us. And whenever we do things in anything in life, when you have a, a Thanksgiving meal, if it's just so everybody will, will talk about your, your, your carrot cake, Marvin, then you, then you did it wrong. If it's just because you made a great pie, Sister Cooper, then it was wrong. It's about preparing a place for those around you. A spirit of humility, willingness to serve. As a believer, my decisions are not based on how it benefits or pleases me, but it's based on the outcome of my decisions. So we're going, where's he going? I tell, I tell you, my wife is, she is not perfect. Dude, she, she can have a temper and, and all these things that's imperfect about her is true. Not all these things, there's only like three. But anyway, but the truth of it is with her is this, that she always was putting family ahead of herself. Always. From working and planning to, to Christmas, to birthdays, to fixing the cake or fixing the meal or fixing this because this one likes this or, or doing this because that was always, and it wasn't ever about so they would like her. She simply done it because it was her nature. In the lives of us as believers, there needs to be a natural thing about us that we're not like Eve drawn to things that just self-gratifying, but things that are gratifying to those that are around us. In the life of a believer, you know, Sister Bell done a great job in Sunday school this morning. She's talking about wisdom. What is wisdom? And we had a variety of, of answers, but the one I, that I thought of was experience. And, and what is experience? Experience means I've been there. And we as believers who are mature, if we have been there, then let's lead by being there. You never will gain the respect of others. So while you're there, if you don't learn to operate correctly, while you're there, is this making any sense? It isn't full of me, it's full of him. It isn't full of me, it's not just what benefits me, it's what benefits them. And in this mentality of anything but a life full of me, well now it's a mentality of anything but a, a life full of a variety of things we're going to get into. A life of this generosity. I'd like you to go to Luke, if you will, in chapter 6. Being generous is, often we think instantly our mind goes to money, and, and there's nothing wrong with being generous in money, and that's great. And, and let me say this to you. If you've never taken opportunity to give, and you've never taken opportunity because there's a need, or you see, you see offering baskets, or, or you see a family, and the Lord prompts you to do something, if you don't learn how to be generous, you'll always be stingy. Always. It's just the way it is. You have to learn to develop a generous spirit. And I want you to look in Luke chapter 6 because it talks about everything in life about being generous. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And you shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Verse 37, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
shall mean given to your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Everything in this passage is about how you present Christ. It's how you present your life. It is no longer about how everything benefits me. And sad to say it, we live in a society where everything benefits me. From football players kneeling when our national anthem plays, and it sickens me. It sickens me. The people holding out for $150 million because they think they're the best postman in the NBA or, or the greatest hitter. Now, I'm not dogging. They can make all the money they want. But when we begin to hold out and demand because we think we are so great, we have been distorted in our walk with Christ. The same mentality that Eve had developed in the garden because they were the only couple. They were the only ones. She began to think, well, why shouldn't I have this fruit? Why shouldn't I be wise? Why shouldn't I have what other people have? Folks, you're in slippery slopes when you begin to question why you don't have and somebody else has. You're in a slippery slope because it doesn't get better. But in this passage, when you learn to give of all these things in life, all the issues of life, from enemies to your neighbors to lending to hoping, believing, serving, giving, loving, comforting, mercy, all these things, judging, condemning, forgiving. Oh, how important are these passages? It's a life of generosity. You give it. You choose to give. When I really upset my wife, she makes a choice to forgive me. She doesn't have to, but she does. Why? Because she's generous. How many of you have ever been not very lovable to your spouse? But what did your spouse do? They became generous. And, and because of the generosity, because the greatest example of generosity was where? Was Calvary, obviously. Because he forgave everything on the place that took his very life. How important is this this morning? It is critical. Because if you do not develop a life of generosity, you will develop a life of stinginess. And you will be stingy in every area of your life. I was with some guys this week and had an absolutely great time with these guys. And, you know, we didn't kill a big deer. Bill killed a good one. And, and one of the, but I'm going to tell you one of the things I began to notice about one of the guys. I won't mention the name. But one of the things I began to notice was his spirit of generosity, his willingness to give, his willingness to, hey, you want this or you want that or try this. You know, all these things. It was unique to watch this spirit because I don't know why this person has this gift of giving the way he does in a variety of areas, but I'm telling you, it's admirable. It's not a bad thing, it's admirable. But if he would have been the one that wanted everything everybody else had, then it wouldn't be very admirable. And you and I, as believers, if you don't have a lifestyle of generosity and giving of yourself and giving of things, uh, and I, I may mention this before, and, and, and Terry Sanders, is he still here? Where's he at? Oh, okay. Terry Sanders, uh, not in the greatest of health. He's definitely not the most mobile man in the church. But one of the things I've seen in him, and I'll say this, and I'm not bragging him because, dude, he's got flaws and failures as much as anybody else. But one of the things I've watched about him, he has a spirit of generosity. Now, Terry doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have the nicest of cars and the nicest of home, and I'm not belittling that at all. But he has a generous spirit. That guy is instilled within not just himself, but in his kids. I watch Travis and I watch Philip. You know what they do? They give. Maybe not monetarily. I don't know what they give. It's none of my business. They don't care. But I'll tell you one thing they will give. They will give their time and they will give their talents and they will give their efforts. Why? Because, see, a spirit of generosity is something that's very admirable among us. 
And if your kids have watched you your whole life and everything's about you and everything revolves around you and everything's about what you want, then they're never going to learn to be generous because they're going to make decisions to do things which based on how it benefits them. Not every decision in life is about how it benefits you. Many of the decisions we have to make in life are about what benefits everybody else. I'll go back to my Star Trek days. My favorite episode of Star Trek was, I don't remember which one it was, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, Wrath of Khan. How many of y'all know which movie that was? How many of y'all know my story? You've forgotten it. So let me, Linda, there's no way you can remember. I've only told it like 20 times over the years. And, but in, in the Wrath of Khan, the, everything was destroyed on this planet, and they, they were going to blow it up or whatever, and they were wanting to bring life back to it. I don't remember all the details. It's kind of a Spock moment, you know. And <clears throat> Spock gets in this little test tube-looking capsule thing and they shoot him down to the planet and this test tube called genesis or a little spaceship called genesis when it hits the planet it blows up and life begins to come back and spock's famous words was this the needs of the many outweigh the needs of a few when you as a parent you as a leader you as anything in your business wherever you work when you make decisions, not just based on what's about you, but it's based on everybody else, everybody will begin to see the blessing. That's just how it works. Your kids will learn it. Your grandkids will learn it. There's nothing quite like your grandkids learning how to give. I had a, a, center, had a little girl here in the church last Sunday. They were playing in the nursery. And I encourage you, after service, go back there and look around. Go look in the nursery. It's amazing and the different things that's went on. But even with changes, sometimes tragedy happens. And Jessica had a little girl. She was playing. All of a sudden, she fell. And her mouth went and hit the little car set or castle or something and knocked the tooth out. Knocked it out. So now we got a little girl, two or three years old, running around with a big old gap here, which we all know it's cute, but still it happened. And she said, I don't know if it's Sunday night or after service, when Jessica was leaving, she said, Maisie came up and said, Make sure you take Tatiana, I'll never say it right, Tatiana, take her to the doctor to make sure that tooth is checked out. Now, me that would just be natural I would think she would say something like that Jessica said she's learned that from somewhere about being concerned about someone else friend it's something that, that is so critical and that's something my wife would do if you had your tooth knocked out I would be going want to go do go look at that that's gross I ain't looking at that but want to be down here let me put it back in there for you give me some wet claws you know she loves that give her a needle and some tweezers and she'll do do she'll do whatever She's a surgeon, you know what I'm saying, you men. Okay, let's leave it alone. Life of generosity, serving, giving, encouraging, the resources that you have to give, attention, time, ministry, and not jealousy because somebody else is better than you. Somebody else is better gifted than you. Because if you don't know this, there are better singers than we have up here. There are a whole lot better preachers than we have up here. Now, don't take offense. You guys are rocking the world. You're awesome. But there's better there's a lot better pastors. There's a lot better speakers. There's a lot better whatever you do, people, in the world. No one is ever the best, but it's not a place for jealousy. It's about admiration. Go to Romans, if you will, and uh, Romans chapter 12. And it has to do with me and you and the application of our ministry. I got a little extra time this morning because worship was over by 20 after, so I won't take real long, but, but I really want us to understand a life of generosity. Let me go back through the first ones. The first one is, it's, it's my life is full of what? The second one is this, anything but a life full of me. The third one is this, a life of generosity. There's only 12 of these headings, so we'll get there in just a little bit. The third one is a life of generosity, a life of generosity. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, 
having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesy, let us prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All of these are extroverted talents. All of these are things you go out and do. It's not just the things that we do inwardly. Whether it's teaching or encouraging or, or ruling or administrating, whatever it is, do it with excellence and do it the best that you can. Then the next point is this, living a life of self-discipline. You may think, well, I don't like a lot of self-discipline. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, I would love to be in super great shape. I wish I could go and run a marathon. Well, I don't wish it real bad, but, but I, it would be nice. Let me say it that way. It would be nice to be able to go run a marathon. You know, I love to be able to get on a bar and do 50 pull-ups instead of five. Two, I don't know. I would be great. It would be. It would be nice. But it's never going to happen unless there's something created to me to go there and begin to work out doing that. You know, I used to take pride that I could jump, and, and I, I love to jump. And I, I could spend hours in the gym, me and some buddies, and all we do is do dunks and jumping and, and all the things we used to do. But I've, I found out as you get older, when you land, the jolt is, is, not, is not very pleasant. You know, I remember jumping in the back of trucks and jumping out. Now I hit and I go, oh, ugh. which ankle broke or which knee blew, you know, whatever. And, but the thing is to get better, it, it doesn't matter, let's get all this. A life of self-disciplines. Exodus chapter 19, let me tell you how critical a life that doesn't have a lot of self-disciplines is a life that is lived in disarray. It's a life that will never be fulfilled in the ways it could be. You know, I've, I've met a lot of dads over the years and grandparents and, and different people that I just... I just had an admiration for just things about them, and I've listened to preachers. I listened to Max Licato sometime, and I've got a lot of his books, and many of you have given me his books over the years, and Max Licato is like this, like this. I want to be like that. I would love to have an Adrian Rogers voice, if you know who that is. Or a Bobby Joyner voice. When I spoke, everybody hears it. At the men's breakfast, I was in my office yesterday morning, and I hear James and the cowboy and the Indian, and I could hear Marvin laugh, and all of a sudden I heard this real barely roar. And I knew Bobby was there. I just knew it. It would be cool to get up and preach to you with that kind of a voice. But it isn't there, so you deal with what you got. Okay, <clears throat> A life of self-disciplines. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10, I'm going to read this because I want you to see how critical it is about the little disciplines in your life. I know I left the little foxes earlier for whatever reason, and we may go back, we may not. But in chapter 19 and verse 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds, listen, Thou shalt set bounds or boundaries unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. For whosoever touches the mount shall be surely shall be surely put to death. There shall not be a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Boy, isn't that great? God's going to come, and if you mess up, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you right there. How many of you would want to show up? Probably not many. Whether it be beast or man, it, it shall not live. And the trumpet soundeth long, and they shall come up to the mount. 
And Moses went down from the mount to the people, and they sanctified the people and washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. In other words, don't have any relations with your wives for the next three days, because on the third day or tonight, tomorrow, and the next day, so Wednesday will be the day. No, Tuesday would be the day. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, and all the people that were in the camp trembled. Absolutely, who wouldn't? And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. Could you imagine being Moses and not be afraid to go up on a mountain? Could you imagine being him that he had enough of these disciplines that he knew he could go into the presence of the Lord and everybody else was quaking? Verse 17, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the neither part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Now, I'm going to stop there, and you're wondering, why would he stop there? It's all about preparation. Before you and I will ever hear him, we will ever hear his voice, we will ever understand him, we will ever know his will, we will ever know his direction, you have to prepare time to hear him. Wherever you are and whatever you're in the middle of, if you don't learn to hear him, you will never do it. And you'll start making decisions with lots of regrets. How critical is it? I'll tell you how critical it is. It's those little things that you hear me say often. Friends, you've got to spend time reading. You've got to spend time in prayer. You've got to keep yourself around someone who challenges you spiritually. Because if you're always around people that don't challenge you spiritually, you'll be around people who don't, and they're going to drag you down. If you don't pray and you don't read, right, Tim? Am I correct? If you don't do these little disciplines, you'll never enter into his presence. If you've never been alone with the Lord and, and you feel his presence, just you and him, and, and it was amazing, you think, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to deal with my heart and move upon me this way. It's never going to happen if it's not for little disciplines that prepares you to be in his presence. It is super critical in every one of our lives, a life of self-disciplines. The people... The people were to prepare a meeting with God. Why? Because if they didn't do any preparation, the Lord wasn't going to take the time to come and meet with them. Because God was about to give them something. If you know anything about where we are in Exodus chapter 19, we're about to enter Exodus chapter 20. And something that was about to take place in chapter 20 was a bunch of rules. And I want you to stay with me. If you don't learn to do the little things in your life, you'll never receive the instruction of God. Because what happens when you don't learn to prepare, let me give you a little history. We're in the wilderness here. All of us Egyptians, or all of us Jews who just came out of Egypt and left the Egyptians. We're out in the wilderness and, and we're on a journey to some promised land, to some place that Moses is leading us. We've never been here before. We've never been free before. We've been slaves for 400 years. We don't know anything. But Moses is given instruction. As he gives instruction, he says, be prepared. Prepare yourself because the Lord's going to come down. And they didn't know it, and Moses didn't know it, but what was happening is the Lord was getting them in the right frame of mind to prepare their hearts. Because in chapter 20, they would no longer be people who were just delivered. They were no longer people who had just been slaves. In chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are given. So what is so significant about this? I'll tell you what's significant. And yes, Leighton, that's a good word. The thing that's unique about significant is this. If they had not prepared, they would have never got the order on how to live. Friend, if you don't prepare in little things, he will never give you structure and order and let Scripture speak to your heart to keep you within the boundaries. Does that make any sense? 
Because if you and I do not get the little things right, he will never be able to impart to us anything outside of a slavery or a bondage mentality. But what happened is they prepared and they trembled. And dude, they'd already seen the water part. They'd already seen the water come out of a rock. They'd already seen manna fall. They'd already seen all these things. But at this point, something else was about to happen. It's about to become intimate. He said, if you'll prepare, I'm going to give you something. And it will give you boundaries the rest of your life. Chapter 20, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. You know, he comes down, and they're all dancing around naked and having an orgy and getting drunk and all the things. And he casts the stone down, and that's another story. Self-disciplines. Because God was about to give them an outline how to maintain. Oh, this is what I meant to say. God was about to give them an outline how to maintain their deliverance. Some of you here have been meant completely just delivered. You know, you, you come to an altar and, and man, Jesus just met you in all of your rusty neck and dirty ears and all of whatever's there and all your past and all your history. And he met you and he set you free in a deliverance. But here's the thing, you can never maintain deliverance. You can't maintain it if you don't have something to go by. And that's why you got to have this word. That's why it's so critical. That's little things that he gives us an outline how to maintain our deliverance. You see, when you come to Jesus, the commands are different than before. They just are. You know, my wife and I, before we got married, we, we, were, we were committed to each other. But once she took a ring and I took a ring, it, it became completely different because it was just different. It's a completely different level, and it's the same way in this walk with the Lord. I'm almost done. Wow. I'm going to live a life of purpose. You may think, well, I don't have any purpose, man. I'm just functioning. I'm just living. And, and I really believe that a lot of people feel like they don't have a purpose because they're not putting the things in their life to have a purpose. If you go to the, uh, the book of Matthew in chapter 4, we're going to stay in Matthew on this, and we'll be quick. <clears throat> and I'll probably close with this one and maybe finish this up tonight. We'll see how it goes today. But in chapter 4 and verse 1, I knew that didn't sound right because Matthew and Luke are written completely different. In chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 1 through 4. Nope, don't want to read that one either. Well, guess what, folks? We're going to wing this. No, we're not going to wing it. I'm going to tell you what, where I was going. How in the world I wrote this down wrong. I don't know. It was probably was Luke 4. But let me tell you what happened. Life of purpose. Don't get distracted by distractions. Money, sickness, problems, trials, whatever. What had happened here was, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 11, and I will close with that part on this. <clears throat> in the book of Luke in chapter 4 is where it was. Jesus said it's time to be baptized, and when he was going down to be baptized, he met a guy there by the name of John the Baptist. And John was preaching, you know, I'm preaching with, with uh, repentance, but the one that's coming after me will preach with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so here comes Jesus to be baptized, he baptizes him. That was in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he goes out in chapter 4 of Matthew to go out into the wilderness. Now let's go to chapter 11, and uh, verse 2 says, Now when John heard that in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now you've heard me talk about this and teach on this before. Or do we wait for another one? That's what they're asking Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, Unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Verse 6, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And this is where I want to stop. 
One of the most critical things about life and understanding God's purpose and your purpose is stop taking offense to things that you don't understand. I could sit and go through my life and time after time after time after time the things that were, were hurtful and things that didn't make sense and, and it never took away the purpose. My purpose has never changed. John the Baptist's purpose never changed even though he didn't understand why he's in prison. Why is his head about to be chopped off? It didn't make any sense. And sometimes in the middle of God's purpose, we don't always understand it. But as long as we're faithful, and Jesus said, blessed is he who is what? Not offended in me. Not offended in the things not going the way you anticipate. I'm going to ask you guys to come back up, and we're going to wrap this up. A life of purpose. Don't get distracted by distractions. What happened? Our purpose is not based on the life of ease. And oftentimes, you and I have been heard and about prosperity and the favor of God for years we think if anything goes wrong we must be out of God's will we've done something wrong and that's not the case life happens it just does often we just put so much emphasis on our performance that we think that's what it based is based upon I am going to go one more place in the book of Psalms chapter 119 a life of direction My wife and I years ago had a guy we went to church with. I won't mention his name. And super great guy. He was a he was a big cattle farmer, and and uh, just thought a lot of him. And and he would be and he'd spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time. And his wife were real intercessors, and they'd kind of retired and was working in some missions. And they spent a lot of time in prayer. And for years, I kept a little word. And and you remember in Jackson probably. And this guy came up to me and prayed with my wife and I, him and his wife. And, and the Lord just gave him a word. He wrote this word down. As he began to speak it, she began to write it. She gave it to us. And I'm going to be honest with you. When he gave me this word, I was thinking, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, okay, all right. But after 30 years later, I see that the words of God have been so true through the writings that God gave this man to give to us. And it may seem kind of, kind of crazy, but the Lord doesn't always look at things instantaneous like we do. Psalms 119. And verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that, oh, that's a wrong one, y'all. I knew that didn't sound quite right. Chapter 19 and verse 1. 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. They will do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast, had, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not, Lord. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, and this is one that many of us have read many, many times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your, all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thy increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burn out, bust out with new wine. And I'm going to reflect just for a moment on this. The first part is I recognize that it's not easy, that my disciplines are not always great, that I'm a failure many times in my walk. But Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 through 10, 
I wrote these words down, listen and apply. Not only listen and apply, honor and trust him. And if we will listen and apply and honor and trust him and our thinking and everything we do is not just about us, he'll prosper you. Not only will he prosper you, it says that your vats will bust open with new wine. Not to be drunk, but it has to do with provision. There's something about life. When we learn to take on more of the nature of Christ about giving who he is in us out, we don't get so caught up in about just us. We're going to pray. A lot of things to think about. I've went on for about 40 minutes. And I'm not going to hold you. Lord, you've seen us all here this, this morning. Our perfections are imperfections. Our flaws are failures. Lord, you've called us to live a life of generosity. You've called us, Lord, to live a life of structure and, and the small things. And, and Lord, the commitment level has to be there. It's not always about the comfort. It's about being faithful. So, Father, I pray that every one of us now, this morning, can honestly say, Lord, I'm not going to live just what it is about me, just how it affects me. Help me to look beyond me and learn to love people on the outside. Help me, Father, to have a vision I've never had before. God, I pray for restoration of things in this church and individuals and families and couples and children to their parents. Father, help us to put you first and us second. I ask it in your precious name.